This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. What is creation? Did God create the world in six days and rest on the seventh? Does anyone really care? These questions and many more, including teaching tips and great resources, are presented in the Creation Science Podcast. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and it's my pleasure and honor to be your host. Some of these shows are from my Best of Creation Expos and other presentations I've completed throughout the years of teaching on this topic. I'm the owner of Media Angels, Inc., a publishing company that produces books, audios, and videos to help you and your family in your Christian walk. Check out my books and other podcasts at MediaAngels.com. To get the show notes for this broadcast, go to CreationSciencePodcast.com. And now, let's learn together. Hi, folks. Welcome back to our podcast, The Four Great Global Events of Genesis. This is your host, Patrick Nury. In today's podcast, we are going to talk about the third great global event of Genesis, the global flood and its geology. Before we begin, I wanted to remind you about my website, northwestrockandfossil.com. Northwest Treasures is all about understanding geology from a biblical perspective. I have over a hundred kits and many books all designed to help equip you in the geology of the Genesis Flood. So let's get started with our topic today, the four great global events of Genesis. This is part three, the global flood of Genesis. Let's start by clearing up a misunderstanding that gets in the way of talking about the geological significance of the Genesis Flood. Was the flood a global or a local event. In other words, did the flood cover the entire earth, or was it just an event that took place within the area we identify today as Mesopotamia? If it was a local event, of course, then the story really only applies to those who went through it at that time and in that place. The rainbow of promise mentioned in Genesis chapter 8 that God would not flood the earth again would then only have applied to the land and people of Mesopotamia. For people around the world to be reminded that God would not flood Mesopotamia again would be a nothing promise. What a waste of time and space to take four chapters of text to tell a story that is irrelevant to future generations. Those people had a flood. So what? Who hasn't seen a flood? The word that is often cited to mean a local flood is the word for land or earth, Eretz, as in the land of Israel. Many words in Hebrew can have multiple meanings. In most cases, the word is defined by the context in which it appears. This is clearly the case with the word day or yom. The context in which it is used tells us exactly what the meaning is. In the case of Eretz, the same holds true. 
Notice this example from Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth, the word Eretz, to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth, Eretz, shall perish. If earth here is to mean Mesopotamia, then what does from under heaven mean? The context tells us that God means the entire earth. Another point to clear up is the teaching of modern geology that geologists have rejected the flood as anything more than a myth because it is not science, and therefore it is irrelevant. It is true that the flood cannot be proven through science to be a fact. Remember that science is that which is observable, testable, and repeatable. However, this also rules out the ruling paradigm in modern geology, uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism is the belief that the geological processes that we see happening today are sufficient to explain what happened in the unobserved past. No one recorded the geology of uniformitarianism as it was supposed to be happening 65 million years ago, as no one recorded the geology of the flood as it was happening. We have to take geologists' word for it, and that is the end of it. But uniformitarianism cannot be scientifically validated much beyond a couple of hundred years. The flood took place 4,500 years ago. So uniformitarianism is a philosophical statement, a belief about the past. This is not made clear in modern geology. It is accepted as gospel. And in fact, modern geology has had to adopt a different understanding of uniformitarianism because of Charles Lyell's bias against any catastrophic abnormality. Remember that Charles Lyell was the one who popularized the statement concerning uniformitarianism. Lyell's view of uniformitarianism was uniform processes and uniform rates. Lyell hated anything that smacked of the Genesis Flood. Today's geology now acknowledges that although the Earth is billions of years old, the rates at which geology unfolded could have included catastrophes. Take, for example, how the dinosaurs supposedly went extinct. Up until the 1970s, all the reasons given for extinction had to do with slow and gradual processes such as declining food sources, changing climates, and overpopulation. Today, a catastrophe involving a huge meteorite collision with the Earth is supposed to be the primary culprit in the dinosaur's global extinction. Now, here is where our scripture rises to the occasion. Scripture is not a scientific dissertation 
on the geological processes of the past. It is a historical record that presents the global flood as a real historical event. A valid question at this point is, can the flood explain the geological landforms, rocks, and fossils we observe today? The answer to this question is a resounding yes. The Genesis flood can be divided into two major stages as recorded in the scripture. Genesis chapter 7 verses 11 through 24, the first stage of the flood, lasted 150 days. This stage of the flood has been called the filling stage or the inundation stage. The primary purpose of this stage from God's perspective is found in Genesis 7, verse 23 and 24. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. The next stage of the flood began in chapter 8, verse 1, and lasted through chapter 8, verse 16, when God told Noah to disembark from the ark, along with the animals that were with him. The length of time from Genesis chapter 7, verse 24, to chapter 8 and verse 16, seems to have been around 272 days, depending on the allotment for the particular days of a month and a year. This stage of the flood has been called the receding stage of the flood. The purpose of this stage, from God's perspective, was to wipe clean the surface of the earth and start over with Noah and those with him on the ark. Now, you might wonder, where is the geological terminology in these passages? It sounds more like a fairy tale. But it is, in reality, a historical narrative. But as a geologist, it becomes apparent rather quickly to me that there are many implications geologically from this historical and theological narrative. As to the accuracy of the Bible's history, hundreds of books have been written validating its history, and Jesus himself is recorded as having quoted from Genesis more than any other Old Testament book. If Jesus was the great moral teacher that most agree he was, then how could he embrace the teachings of the Old Testament if they were false and still be moral? He couldn't. We are left either believing that Jesus knew what he was talking about or that he was deluded. There is no in-between ground here. So, just what are those geological implications I mentioned? Well, there are quite a few. I'm going to give you just a, a few here. Be prepared to write. Uh, if you don't have a pencil and paper with you, you might want to get this at least to take down the scriptural references. 
Here we go. Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. I will blot out every living thing that I have made. Well, the geological implication of this is extinction. Now, geologists have credited to this uh, to many extinctions over the hundreds of millions of years. Perhaps we're looking at just one particular extinction with waves of flooding. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. All the fountains of the great deep burst open. The geological implication? Global tectonic upheaval, crustal fracturing, and global release of magma and hot water. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 again, we see the floodgates of the sky were opened. The geological implication is torrential and violent rain producing massive flooding. Genesis chapter 7, verse 17. The water increased and lifted the ark. The geological implication? It took a lot of water to lift a 450-foot boat. Massive amounts of rock and sediment would have been torn up and transported, in some cases, over many miles. Genesis 7, verse 18. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. It just didn't rain for 40 days and 40 nights, but for 150 days, the waters rose until everything was covered to a particular depth. The waters were stronger than ever before. Massive amounts of rapid erosion, transportation, and deposition of sediments would have taken place during this short period of time. Genesis 7, verse 19. The water prevailed more and more. All the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. Even though we don't know exactly how high the mountains of that time were, at least to float a 450-foot boat at 45 feet high, the floodwaters must have been deep. This was no shallow sea, and the entire earth was covered. These were not just isolated seaways. Genesis chapter 7, verse 21. All life, that is, air breathing, perished. The geological implication? The flood was totally devastating to life, which is what the fossil record records. Extinction. Genesis chapter 7, verse 22. All that had breath died. The geological implication? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers all over the earth. Genesis 7, verse 23. God blotted out every living thing. Geological implication? All life outside the ark perished. This is why geologists talk about the great Permian extinction, in which they say upwards of 90% of living things perished. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 24. The water prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. Geological implication? It took 150 days to reach maximum depth, at which point all 
life perished. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The geological implication is water draining off of the earth would have carved great ravines, channels, and planation surfaces, and there would have been rapid desiccation. Now, a planation surface is a vast, flat-topped mountain. Could be a plateau, or a mesa, or a butte. These are real mysteries to modern geologists, because they can't figure out what force would erode the size of the, the sides of these features and yet leave the top flat. Genesis chapter 8, verse 2. The floodgates of the sky were closed. Geological implication, the wet sediments torn up by the flood began to settle out, explaining the vast amount of sedimentary rock formations. Genesis chapter 8, verse 3. The water receded steadily from the earth. Receding floodwaters would have caused rapid and catastrophic planing initially, and then channelization, or carving all of the big canyons and channels that we see today. Genesis chapter 8, and verse 5, And the water decreased steadily for 180 days. The first stage of the receding waters would have planed freshly laid sediments. The last stage would have caused rapid, massive, channelized erosion. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 14. The total period of the flood was over 380 days. During that time, some of the freshly laid sediments would have hardened. Others would have warped during the tectonic processes of the flood. And that is just scratching the surface. The more I study geology and do the fieldwork, the more I see evidence of a great global flood. But then again, I also believe the scripture. The combination of the two leads me to conclude that the Genesis account of a great global flood is so very accurate. For further study on this subject, please visit my website at northwestrockandfossil.com for a look at the tools, the kits, and the books that uh, will help you defend your faith in Genesis and its presentation of Earth history. One of the greatest influences on my early thinking as a Christian was Henry Morris. His book called The Genesis Flood is a classic on the geological implications of the flood. It would be a worthwhile read. Well, that will conclude our topic for today. In our next podcast, we will tackle the fourth great global event in Genesis, the Tower of Babel and its implications for modern man. This has been your host, Patrick Nury. So long for now. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Creation Science Podcast. You can find the show notes at creationsciencepodcast.com. And as always, reach out to me, Felice Gerwitz at felice at mediaangels.com. Take care, God bless, and I hope you enjoy teaching your children and learning about the beautiful world that God created. Please share this broadcast with a friend and thanks so much.